Okay, well, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles as we uh, get into the Word of God. We're in John chapter 10. We're going to be covering the first 10 verses of John chapter 10. Uh, so I'll read it, pray, we'll get, uh, we'll get into the Word of God with one another. The title of this sermon is, I Am the Door. John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy God, you are the one who by your own spirit inspired these words. Father, you're the one who sent your son who spoke these words. And so we come to you now and we ask for your help, God. I thank you for your revelation in this book in these words, that it is God-breathed. And I ask now by the power of your spirit for illumination, for the ability to see clearly what you have spoken. And Lord, I ask, give us ears to hear the voice of the shepherd. God, we see these Pharisees were blind, but they did not see. And they said they were not blind. We see that they are deaf But they said, no, I hear what you're saying. It's just not true. And we ask, Lord, spare us from being among those who are blind and deaf. And in that, Lord Jesus, what we're asking for is grace upon grace. Lord, you are the door. Anyone who enters by you will be saved, God. Would we search and find and make sure we have entered through this door into the safety of your sheepfold, into the safety of knowing you as our shepherd. God, I ask for your help right now. Lord, we are, um, we're weak people, we're fallible. We, we are not just those who make mistakes, but those who have even sinned daily against you. And so we ask for your cleansing and your forgiveness. And we ask that by your word, you would sanctify us. By your grace, you would make us more like Christ. Jesus, we're nothing, but you are everything. You are all in all. And so would you be everything to us? Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Now may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, in approaching John chapter 10, we need to be cognizant of the context that this story is taking place in. And we need to recognize not just the immediate context, but the broader context that this is taking place of within the Bible. 
You see, it's, it's a wonderful, profound discovery when you realize that the Bible is not separate, far apart, disassociated, having nothing to do with other parts, uh, book after book after book, but it's actually one unified story. When you discover that, the Bible opens up in incredible ways. And so what I want us to do is have an eye for what John is doing in the broader context of the story of redemption through Jesus Christ, God's son coming into this world to save sinners and make all things new. And I want us to also recognize that John chapter 10 comes immediately after John chapter nine. If we miss that, we're gonna miss out on exactly the purpose of what Jesus is, has in saying the words he has. But first let's, let's talk about the beauty of what John is doing. And we've remarked in the past, and I've said some of these words that there comes times where, there come times where you realize John is one of the greatest writers in all of history. That what he's able to do with language, even in our translations, is just stunning. And what he does in telling the story of Jesus, a true story, what he does in interweaving how the story of Jesus is the story of Israel, and it is the story of humanity, and it is the story of a God who in love says to a rebellious people, Though you have rebelled against me, there's going to come a day where once again, I will be your God and you will be my people. And I'm going to make a dwelling place for myself with you to show that I'm greater than any other, to show that he is the most glorious one in all the universe. John tells us that story. And to be able to capture that, I want to read to you from a biblical theologian, how he sets up John chapter 10. This man's name is Jim Hamilton. I think he's one of the best biblical theologians. That term means uh, doing theology by looking at the story of the Bible. So sometimes we arrange things systematically. Uh, What does the Bible say about this subject? And we systematically do that. Jim Hamilton is going to take an approach where he says, what is the story of the Bible? And he retells that for us. So listen to what he says about where we are and where we've been in the story of the gospel of John so far. He begins by talking about Israel. So Israel in the Old Testament, prior to Israel's exile from the land, when they were taken out of the promised land, Isaiah was commissioned to stop ears, blind eyes, and hardened hearts until the exile. That's what the prophet Isaiah was given to do. Go and preach, but people won't hear. The Lord also promised through Isaiah that when he worked the new Exodus salvation, the lame would be healed and the blind would see and the Lord once again liberated his people and led them to the land of promise. So that Israel would be taken out of the land, but there was gonna come a day where he would return his people to the land. And we know from Isaiah 61 in different places where it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captive, to open the eyes of the blind, on and on. So what does that have to do with John, we ask? Well, quote, John presents Jesus as the fulfillment of these prophecies. John the Baptist announces Jesus as the Lamb of God in chapter one. In chapter two, Jesus, the Lamb of God, drives out animals of sacrifice of the temple. He will replace them. In John chapter three, Jesus speaks with Nicodemus about the new birth. In John chapter four, Jesus offers living water. Jesus, Jesus offers living water, is recognized as Messiah and savior of the world and heals the sick. In chapter five, the lame walk. In chapter six, the multitude is fed. The water is crossed. The mountain ascended. Then Jesus reveals that he is the fulfillment of the manna from heaven. In John, in John chapter seven, Jesus asserts that he is the fulfillment of the rock from which the water flowed. But he gives something better than water. He gives the Holy Spirit. In John chapter eight, Jesus is the pillar of fire, the light of the world. In John chapter nine, the blind see, which we saw the last couple weeks. 
if the people of Jesus are to reach the river Jordan, to cross over into the land of promise, they need not only to be liberated, made alive, healed, given sight, and provided with bread and water, which we've seen Jesus do in fulfilling the history of Israel. They need something more. They also need to be shepherded. And so we come to John chapter 10. And as we come to John chapter 10, we're taking place right on the heels of Jesus healing a blind man. And now he's going to continue his discourse and he's speaking to some people in particular. He's speaking to the Pharisees and he's going to give them some figures of speech, something that almost approaches a parable. It's a story. It's something he's telling them that has meaning to it, but they don't understand it. And so as we come to the story, the way we're going to walk through it is by just looking at the story. And then we're going to look at the clarification Jesus gives. And within that, we're going to learn things. We're going to learn things about false shepherds, about the sheepfold of God, and about the sheep. Then we're going to learn just exactly who, what the door of the sheep is. And we're going to close talking about the door and all other doors. So first let's, let's talk about, let's look at the words of Jesus and talk about false shepherds, the sheepfold and the sheep. Jesus in chapter 10, continuing to speak to the Pharisees says this, truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. Okay, so Jesus says to the Pharisees, truly, truly, these words are meant to drive home a point. So he wants them to get this. And what he's going to talk to them about is sheep and sheepfold and shepherds. And this is a common metaphor, common imagery for them at the time, but we need to do a little bit of work because not too many of us tend sheep. Not too many of us uh, have encounters with shepherds. So what's the whole idea of sheepfolds? Well, uh, let me take you back to an- the ancient Near East, to even the first century, which, uh, in which shepherding was common. Okay, the way this would work is that a shepherd would tend sheep. And during the, sh- during the day, the sheep would go out and they would graze in the land and they would be safe. And the shepherd would be watching over them and making sure they would get to quiet waters, that they would get to green pastures, that they would be able to lie down in a safe place if it was too hot. But that was, that was generally kind of the easy time For a shepherd, during the day, they would go and they would graze. But at night, the sheep needed safety. At night, the vulnerable sheep, who aren't the smartest of all creatures, would need a place to be protected from both thieves, robbers, and also predators. And so shepherds commonly would have what's called a sheepfold. Now think of a pretty big, uh, pretty big area where uh, a shepherd would either have an enclosed space with a wall or use kind of the natural environment, maybe use a cave with just one opening. This is what a typical sheepfold would be. On the interior of the wall, it would be something like wood, something that if a sheep got up against it, it wouldn't hurt the sheep. But on the exterior for the better sheepfolds, there would be stone 
uh, stone walls built up. And back in this day, it's been pointed out that they didn't have barbed wire. that didn't exist yet. So there wasn't something on the top of the sheepfold, but they would put thorns and they would put briars so that uh, any animal who was trying to get in would get hurt. And anyone who was trying to steal a sheep would look obvious uh, to everyone else. Because why would someone be climbing a fence that has a bunch of thorns and briars if they were a legitimate shepherd? So this is the idea of what a sheepfold would be. And there was just one important thing, and it's what Jesus draws attention to in the beginning of his words. The point in the first verse, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way. That man is a thief and a robber. The one feature Jesus is really drawing attention to is the door into the sheepfold. Now, this door needed to be just big enough that sheep could get in and get out and also that the shepherd would be able to lie down in the place, in the space of it. So that even if someone wasn't going to try to go over the fence, if they were going to try to go in through the door, they would have to get past him. That if a lion was going to come for these sheep or a wolf was going to come for these sheep, they would have to get past the shepherd first. The door is the only legitimate way into and out of the sheepfold. And there's just one door. So whoever would not come through this door, it was obvious. This person was up to no good and was no good. So Jesus is talking to these people and we talked about how the story of Israel was that they were taken out of the land of Egypt. They were fed in the wilderness, but they did not obey God. And so God exiled them from the land, but there was going to come a day where they would return to the land. But as they were wandering in the wilderness before they entered the land, and if they were ever to enter the land after their exile again, to have rest in God's, uh, in God's chosen portion for them, they would need a shepherd. As we've already talked about that, Jesus is going to proclaim that he, he is that shepherd. And he is the one who has come to shepherd his people. We've talked about that broad context, but let's remember what the immediate context of this story is. Jesus, out of sheer grace, after his disciples asked a pretty blunt, um, pretty blunt and insensitive question of, after seeing a blind man, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus said, neither sinned. It wasn't that, it was that, it was that, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And Jesus healed him of blindness. And after that, the man went and then the Pharisees started berating him with questions. Then the Pharisees started saying, who healed you? Jesus? It couldn't be Jesus. That man has a demon. What, What happened? And the man told them again and again. It's in that context that the Pharisees were berating this man who was once blind and now sees that Jesus addresses them. And the really big idea here, the force of Jesus's words is a rebuke and a strong rebuke to the Pharisees because these are supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. And so he's saying to them, what kind of shepherds are you? What are you doing? He says, truly, truly, The Pharisees, they had already confessed uh, that they're not blind. They said to Jesus, are we also blind? Jesus said to them in verse 41 of chapter 9, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So on the heels of healing a blind man and confronting the Pharisees' blindness, Jesus now speaks to them. But with his speech, it only reveals their deafness. Jesus, in essence, is saying to them, you call yourself shepherds, 
Let me read verses one through three one more time for us. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. One note, the gatekeeper, uh, so we just understand within a sheepfold, there would be one person who would guard uh, within the sheepfold. And so they would also recognize who a true shepherd is. That's uh, just a note for understanding. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And in the background of this text is actually Ezekiel 34. It's a chapter where the Lord Yahweh speaks to what he calls the false shepherds of Israel. And he says to them, essentially, shame on you. You are supposed to be shepherding the people, but you're just getting fat off of them. People are like sheep going off and you're not going after them. You're not shepherding for their good. You're shepherding for your gain. They're getting lean and you're getting fat. They're in poverty and intricately linked, you have riches. God said, woe to those false shepherds. And Jesus here speaks to the Pharisees. And he says, what kind of shepherds are you? You call yourselves shepherds? Jesus says, listen, only shepherds enter by the door. We've already established that in talking about what a sheepfold is. And Jesus says, you know this, sheep hear their shepherd's voice and they follow. So in, uh, in the Near East, the way a person would shepherd was a little different, I found out in study, than those ways that Western shepherds uh, shepherded. Uh, in the Near East, it was really common for a shepherd to have a name for each of his sheep. It was common since they spent so much time together, the sheep would just hear their shepherd's voice. And we, we kind of get at this with, um, for some of us, our dogs, or I, I bet some of you, your cats uh, also, you can call them by name and they'll come to you. That you could be at a dog park and a bunch of people could be calling your dog's name, but once you call it, they come to you. The same thing was true of sheep. The Pharisees understood this. This was common knowledge. Sheep hear their shepherd's voice and they'll follow him. But understand, this is taking place on the heels of a blind man who after being asked, who healed you? What does he say? He says, all I know is the man called Jesus did it. This blind man, though he couldn't see, he heard the voice of the shepherd. He obeyed the voice of the shepherd. And so Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, sheep hear their shepherd's voice and they follow him. And you know what else? Shepherds know their sheep and shepherds care for their sheep. How do they do this? They do this, verse uh, four says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So a sheep was blind and now sees. And the Pharisees, rather than rejoicing in this, rather than rejoicing that one of the sheep, one of the people, one of the people they were meant to care for and shepherd as teachers of the law, they berate him and they even cast him out of the community. What kind of shepherd casts out a sheep who's just been healed? Well, in verses four and five, we're told something about the sheep and the shepherd, that relationship. One more time, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. So what we see here first is that the sheep, sheep, See the shepherd go before them. This is a way that sheep recognize their shepherd. Uh, in, in Western shepherding, uh, it's common to use something like an Australian shepherd or a dog to drive sheep from the back or a shepherd to be in the back and drive sheep forward. But in the, in the Near East, 
shepherds would go before their sheep. They would encounter danger first. They would lead them and guide them. They take the risk on themselves. So the sheep see the shepherd go before them. This is sacrificial leadership. This, this, all of this uh, is teaching us something of what it looks like to be a shepherd after God's own heart. So the sheep see the shepherd go before them. And secondly, the sheep do know the true voice. And we already talked about literally what this means. And the blind man heard the voice of the sheep, but this also has implications for us today. Sheep hear their shepherd's voice and so they'll follow him. But Jesus says a stranger who comes in, they won't follow because they, they'll flee from, they don't know his voice. And J.C. Ryle points out that this is true today. And experientially, we, we do know this to be true, that because of God's Holy Spirit given to us, one way you can know you're a true sheep is you recognize the voice of the shepherd. And as pastors, as shepherds teach the word of God, you recognize when the voice sounds like the voice of Jesus and his teachings and when it doesn't sound like that. Perhaps you have experienced this. When for some reason, teaching just doesn't sit right with you. You can't quite put it into words, but you say that, that just didn't feel right. Or you listen to a worship song and you really like the, the way it sounds and the music of it, but you listen to the words and you say that, that, that doesn't really seem true. Or maybe you're listening to a preacher and the preacher's eloquent and the preacher's one of the greatest preachers in the country. But you realize after they didn't really talk much about Christ and his work. They kind of inspired me, but they didn't leave me with Christ. Still today, sheep hear their shepherd's voice and they listen. Church, I want to encourage you. As you listen to this teaching, as you listen to the teaching of any pastor, as you listen to worship songs, as you listen, as you read books, search and ask, is this the voice of Jesus? Is this in accord with Holy Scripture? If something doesn't sit right with you, listen to that and then go and discern that. Because you do, you true sheep, you do hear Jesus's voice. And when a voice of a stranger comes, it won't feel right. Jesus is telling them all this metaphor, this story, this parable about a sheepfold, about false shepherds, about the sheep. But in verse six, we read this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They don't get it. They're likely at this point asking themselves, what's he talking about? What does he mean by door. They're they're probably feeling some of the brute force of the rebuke, but they don't really get what he's getting at. And so Jesus clarifies. So this next section, let's talk about Jesus's clarification that he is the door of the sheep, verses seven through nine. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Here, Jesus clarifies. He told them the story, but it went over their heads. And so he says to them once again, truly, truly. In the Greek, amen, amen. We say it at the end of prayers. It's meant to mean, uh, I agree with this. Certainly so. Verily, verily. In the older translations, the point is, listen. Jesus says to them, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He's already said, anyone who doesn't come through the door of a sheepfold is a thief and a robber. And they've agreed with that. They know that to be true. And now he looks down 
and looks in the eyes of the religious leaders, of the Pharisees, who just berated a man once blind and cast him out of their community. And he says to them, I am the door of the sheep. He's the door of the sheep. Which means that sheepfold, if that is the rest of God, and in daytime coming out through the door to go into safe pastures, if that's the rest of God and the way to exit it safely and enter back into the rest of God safely, to go in and to go out to live life, if the door is the most important thing, it's the only way in and it's the only way out, Jesus says, I am that door. I did heal that blind man. I am the light of the world. I am the true manna given from heaven. I can give living waters, the Holy Spirit. I am the door of the sheep. And he goes on to say, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. So this takes a little bit of clarification because we might think at first, who were who all the ones who came before Jesus? And we might think, well, all the prophets, all the prophets of God, Moses and David, who was also a king and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. So if that's who came before Jesus and he's now says they're thieves and robbers, is that what we're to think of Moses and all these People, And this actually is, in a way, what some people do with the Old Testament, in essence. They say that was, that was a story of God who was wrathful and just hateful, but Jesus, the God of Jesus, is now kind. He has, he's in a better mood. But that is not what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is not in reference to the prophets, because as I already mentioned, Ezekiel called out the false shepherds. And so did Jeremiah. And they said, one day, a servant will come, a shepherd they said, a shepherd in the line of David will come and he himself will shepherd the sheep of Israel. So he's not talking about the prophets. What's he talking about? He's talking about all who came before Jesus and they themselves claimed to be the door. You see, all the prophets, they could be summed up as proclaiming this. I come to you bearing the word of God and I myself am not the door but God will provide the door. And the only way is through God and through his grace. John the Baptist, he himself said, I myself am not the light, but I came only to bear witness to the light. And now Jesus, the light, the door is here. And he says, all those who came before me who said they were the way to salvation, whatever it looks like, that they were the way, that they had the knowledge of God. If they reject me, they were thieves and they were robbers. There are many messiahs throughout, uh, throughout history, people who claimed uh, to be the saviors of Israel and every single one of them led people astray, led people to death, took money from people. Jesus says, everyone else, is a thief and a robber. This is an ostentatious claim. This is huge. Jesus is saying, I'm the door. I'm the only way to true life. And all who came before me were thieves and robbers. Let's think about these words he says. Verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus here, after proclaiming, I am the door, he, the first opening words he uses to explain this are these. He says, if anyone enters by me, this is a free offer. So yes, Jesus is saying, everyone who came before me and said that they were the way, they were thieves and robbers. And especially in our culture, in a culture where the only heresy is to say that there is heresy. The only true intolerance is to be intolerant of a certain viewpoint. 
The only sin is to say there is sin. In our day and age, this is hard truth. That there is one way to the Father. That there is salvation in no other name. That Christ alone can save. There is only one name given under heaven by which men must be saved. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one can come to the Father except through him. And yet, what are the next words he says? If anyone enters the door by me, if anyone comes in by me, he will be saved. This is the free offer. Do you hear the shepherd's voice in this? What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, you have, my sheep will know my voice. And he came to gather the lost sheep of Israel. And not just Israel, we know, but all the nations. He came for those who were lost. He's saying, you haven't found life out there. Come to me. And if you're anything like me, some of my first excuses are, well, he doesn't know how bad my sin was or is or will be. Well, he he probably means that for people who are a little better, people who didn't know, they were just ignorant, but I knew, no, Jesus gives the free offer. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus won't cast out anyone. All who come to me will be saved and I won't cast out anyone. Jesus, the good shepherd, he's going to go before his sheep. He's going to lay down his life. He's going to die for his sheep. He says, I'm the door. The way into safety is me. The devil himself will have to go through me and my finished work on the cross. And as the devil comes to accuse my sheep of what they have done, I will point to the cross on which I nailed the certificate of debt that stood against my sheep. And I'll say, you are put to open shame because what I have done for my sheep If anyone enters in by Jesus, the one who is gentle and lowly of heart, he will be saved. He is the only way, but anyone may enter in. Do you hear the voice of the shepherd this morning? Come to him. Don't delay. You don't have have a legitimate excuse. Your sin isn't too bad. Your view of the cross is just too small. On the cross, he bore your sin. He was raised that you might be justified. First, the free offer. And secondly, not only that, he says that this is an offer of life. He will enter Uh, verse nine, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So what does this mean? This means simply this. It's an offer of life. It's an offer of freedom. The Christian life is not one where you are simply now secluded away from everyone, living in your own monastery, away from the world, away from everything else. and, And you're just You're just holding tight until Christ returns or you die and go to be with him. But that God himself will make his dwelling place in you and you'll now have life. Let me ask you, those of you I trust who are in Christ, you know this. Even if you were saved at an early age, you would say, I don't want to go somewhere else. If you were saved later in life, think back on your earlier life. Was that true freedom? Jesus is saying that wasn't freedom. Galatians 5 says, for freedom's sake, you've been set free. Therefore, don't submit yourself again to the bondage of slavery. Don't go back to those old ways. In Jesus entering through this door, you'll be able to go in and go out and find pasture. Now, this isn't saying that you'll go into safety and then you'll come out of safety 
and then you'll go back in, it's rather saying that you are eternally secure in Christ. That you now have true life. It's a, it's a he, Hebraism. It's a Hebrew phrase that just means you'll have life now. You'll be able to live as a sheep was meant to live. You'll be able to live as a human was meant to live. Not in sin, not in rebellion, but in true life. Let me assure you, God's way is better. Yes, there will be suffering. Yes, there will be hardships. But no one will look back on this life after living for the glory of God and according to the word of God and by the grace of God and say, it wasn't worth it. He's the door. And he says, all who enter in, anyone who enters by me will go in and out and find pasture. The third thing we notice about the door, we must recognize about the door is a stern thing. And it is good news, but it is the exclusivity of Christ. Jesus says, I am the door. He doesn't say, I am a door. He says, anyone who says there's many doors to God, Confucius, Buddha, Muhammad, they're a liar. That is the truth claim Jesus is making. I want you to understand clearly that you can't say Jesus is just one of the good religious teachers. If you say that, you are calling him a liar. You are not taking his word seriously. He says, I am the door. Everyone who came before me, and we can say by extension, everyone who came after him and claims to be a door or the door to God, apart from Christ, they're liars. They're thieves, they're robbers. And we see this bear out. We see this prove true. Muhammad was a thief and a liar. Confucius did not deliver salvation. All other ways to God are false ways. Jesus alone can save. And he is the only way. He is the door. There are not five doors to the sheepfold. There is one and his name is Jesus Christ. That feels like hard news, but verse 10 helps us see with utter clarity. Jesus in comparison to all the other doors. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now it's really interesting in studying this verse in context, I always took this to mean primarily something about the devil, the thief. He's the one who comes to steal and kill and destroy. And we know that is the character of the devil. But what Jesus is saying in this context is it's the false teachers. It's the ones who reject Christ and however they do it, whether they outright say Jesus was not God, he was just a man. Or they say, sure, Jesus, Jesus was a God. Or they say, sure, he, he's a way. And if that works for you because your life got so messed up that it felt good for you to feel f- like you were forgiven because you were so bad, then that works for you. That's a way of rejecting Christ. He's, he's the only door. He's not primarily talking just about Satan here. He's talking about false teachers. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. What it means that there is salvation in no other name than Jesus, that the only way to be made right by God is through faith in the work of God for his people and the gospel of Jesus Christ and him giving his life for sinners and rising from the dead. In saying that, what it's saying is anyone else who says there's another way of salvation they're just trying to steal and they're just trying to kill and they're just trying to destroy. All others who claim to be the door to salvation, they come to steal and kill and destroy. And today, what 
what are these other doors that we're tempted by? Well, throughout history and in our climate right now, there have appeared those who are political saviors throughout history. People who come and say, if you follow me, I will make your life better. I forget who said it, but one, one author I read this week said, it is, not, it is not the story of Christian perfection in heaven that is the myth, but the humanist idea of a utopia. That's a myth. Look back on history. Has any mere human been able to deliver life and peace and abundance? We look back at political people who claim to be political saviors in the past and we see what happened to them. Well, D.A. Carson remarks, look what happened with Hitler and with Stalin and with Pol Pot. These different people, they said, we've come and we're going to deliver a new kingdom. And what happened? People's things were stolen. People, people's lives were taken, killed. And our world in many ways was destroyed by war. And that, that is an extreme thing that has happened in history. But I want you to know any mere human you set your heart on, even if they have good ideas, they will break your heart. They will let you down. Anyone who claims to be a savior, even if it's strictly in political terms, they will, they will ultimately let us down. The kingdom of God is coming and one day will fully be here. But until that day, we, we're not going to experience humanist utopia here. Every political savior will let us down. So man, I've, I've been convicted of this as I've seen people yelling at each other through social media. And I've thought, well, this is more right and this is more wrong. And there's some truth to that. But man, I can't and we can't as the people of God set our hope on what happens just in one political office. We must set our hope continually on Christ and his second coming. And let's be good and faithful citizens to the best of our ability. But every person who claims to be the door to salvation apart from Christ will let us down. It certainly means other religions. And those who claim to be Christians and are false teachers and will say the words Jesus a lot and will say the words Christ a lot and will say even gospel and will say Holy Spirit and will say all these religious terms, but their teachings in the end vacuous and what they're after are riches. And they say, give me money and then you will be blessed. And they say all these different things. There are false teachers out there, church, beware of them. They've ultimately come to kill, steal, and destroy. It's not, we know this, it's not just, it's not just those who look like false teachers and those who look like, in retrospect, wicked rulers. It's any idol that we look to. It's anything, even good things that we look to, to provide what only God can Anything we think, if I had that, I would have abundance. If I had that, then I would truly have life. If I had that, then my life, which feels destroyed, it would feel whole and put together. Anything less than Christ himself and God's presence by his Holy Spirit and the knowledge of being born again in the presence of God, anything less than that, that we put at that place of God will utterly break our hearts. Recognize all apart from Christ, even good things apart from Christ, come to kill and steal and destroy. But Jesus says, 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What does that mean? That means that though our culture would say it is so close-minded to think there's only one way to God, I can't even believe that you would say there's one way to God. We can say, I can't believe there's one way to God either. We can say, I, I can't believe God, God would show sinners such grace. I can't believe that though every other human leader failed to provide forgiveness, failed to provide satisfaction for sins, failed to raise from the dead, that God would provide his own son who would do that for us. And so we can say, you know what? No matter what we have, if we have Christ, our hearts don't want. We shall not want because we have him and in him we have life and we have it abundantly. So really practically, just what is it going to look like to enter by the door? Well, first we need to make sure we have entered by the door. Have you repented of your sins and trusted in Christ? Do you know the voice of the shepherd? If not, come to Christ. He will not reject you. No one else can provide salvation but him. Second thing that I just want to leave us with is beware of those other doors that tempt us. They can be even good things. No one but Christ provides any kind of true salvation. But he came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, praise you that you are the door and though though humanity, all we like sheep have gone astray, that you came after us. And Lord Jesus, we know in our place, God laid the iniquities of us all upon you, the Lamb of God. So Jesus, we say thank you and we say, Lord, forgive us and keep us from all false shepherds. Keep us from all false doors. Let us only come to God in the name and work of Jesus Christ, not our own, not anyone else's, but only yours. Thank you, shepherd of the sheep. Pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.